Good evening, guys. We're going to go ahead and get started tonight, and I want to thank you for being here uh, with the weather and such as it is. And uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'll find Jeremiah 25, we uh, did 20 chapters in Psalms and um, uh, and really tried to focus in on that. But yet, um, if you're not careful, each psalm sounds a lot like the other ones, right? We're in a mess. God delivers his praises and that's that's necessary but it's kind of like the idea that uh, God is not only a loving God but he's also a just God you can't just have one or the other there's times to encourage our children and there's times to correct our children and so where Psalms is this wonderful book with the exception of Psalms 88 uh, encouragement which it still is a wonderful psalm it's just a different psalm when we come to the book of Jeremiah tonight, I really want to take us, take us back and look at what got um, the nation in the state that it was in. And a little bit of history tonight. And, um, because I think if you don't understand the, the significance of what has happened, you get this idea that God is just vengeful and He is just always ready to judge. But truly when we see the nation of Israel due to the southern kingdom at this time, we really see the fact that God has been so gracious to the people of Israel, that He has been long-suffering, and it should give us hope, the fact that God is that way to us. And so, um, if you know anything about the nation of Israel, it was ruled by the judges, and uh, as we're getting ready to start back up again on Sunday, our study through 1 Samuel, that God calls uh, Saul to be the first king of the unified nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. And if you want to, real quick, you can flip over to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13 and just make a little notation there um, or in your notes. And in 1 Samuel 15, because it talks about the fall of Samuel, the fact that he uh, offered an unauthorized sacrifice to God. And then in chapter 15, God says, you need to go and wipe out the Amalekites. And he didn't. And then when Samuel called him out on it, he says, well, it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was, it was the people. They, they did it. So not only did he uh, offer an unauthorized sacrifice, he didn't do what God told him to, then he lied to cover it up. And I think it's an interesting story because uh, the book of Esther, most of you have probably heard of the book of Esther or read the book of Esther. And the individual in that story that was trying to kill the Jewish people, uh, Hamanthi, I believe is how you pronounce it, guess um, what race of people he came from? The Amalekites. And so even though King Saul was not faithful to do what God told him, this individual that would have not existed... God still had a purpose and a plan, and it did not surprise him. And so instead of King Saul accomplishing the purpose that God had set before him, then Esther does. And so I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of how God is always at work, even when we don't see it, even when we don't think it works out the way that we should. But Saul loses the kingdom, and the prophecy is that the kingdom will be ripped from you, and we know that that was by King David, and uh, King David was God's man, and you can read about that in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 1 all the way up through 
uh, chapters 19. And so, so God gives them this kingdom and the king that they wanted, and he is not faithful. So then he raises up a man from his, that is a, a man after God's own heart, right? And King David is sinful. King David falls into all kinds of messes. If you know anything about King David's family, you can read about that in those passages of Scripture. Um, uh, one uh, half-brother rapes his half-sister, and um, King David doesn't discipline him uh, to the way that he should have. And so her brother, Absalom, decides that he's going to take vengeance in his own hand, and he kills him. Uh, he leads a rebellion against his father, uh, drives him out of the kingdom uh, on his deathbed. Another one of his sons, uh, Abedinejash, declares himself king. And his dad's laying there dying and old in bed. And the Bible says he was at that age where he couldn't stay warm. And, and uh, so he is unable to, to be the king that he used to be. And so this son sees an opportunity and says, I'm going to be king. And so uh, Bathsheba uh, goes into King David and says, but you promised the kingdom to Solomon. And so the kingdom goes to Solomon as you are well. So God's first king was not godly. The second king was not godly. And so then Solomon becomes king. And if you have your Bibles, uh, you might want to just read uh, or flip over there. There's just one verse I want you to read tonight because I don't have it in front of me. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23. So God gives them the king, he fails. God gives them another king, and he fails. Does anybody have 1 Kings 10, 23? So God not only has put these kings there, they failed, puts another king there, he fails, raises up Solomon, makes him greater, wiser, richer. Uh, you can go on and read in 1 Kings 4 that his entire reign, he had peace. I mean, it's peace, prosperity, wealth, everything you could want from an earthly kingdom. This is everything you and I could dream at for our country. As a country, we want what? We want peace. We want prosperity. We want all of these things. And they had it. It says that he built great ships. He built the temple of God. Uh, he had gold that was almost uncountable. But yet, 1 Kings 11, if you have that, 1 Kings 11, verses 9 and 10, if somebody would read that. 1 Kings 11, verse 9 and 10. Absolutely. So God says, you can't follow after the pagan gods. You can't follow idols. I've given you everything that any earthly person could want, and yet Solomon did what? He allowed himself to follow idols. And so we see this idea of what did the children of Israel want when Samuel was alive? They wanted a king, but yet that didn't prove to be faithful. So God picks a king that is not like Saul. He wasn't beautiful, uh, uh, tall and strong and handsome. The Bible says that David was very uh, beautiful, I think it was, but he was different, right? He was a shepherd, he, yet he was not completely faithful. And so the, the, the lineage, again, is, is a mess. And so then Solomon raises up, and God gives him every blessing he could want, but yet he still follows after pagan gods. I want to say this tonight, that sometimes we ask ourselves, if God had just been better to some people... Right, If God had just blessed them more, or they hadn't lost that loved one, 
or they hadn't went through that difficult time, maybe they wouldn't be so angry at God. Maybe they wouldn't have ran so far. That's not it. Solomon had every earthly blessing you could want, but still followed after the pagan worship. And so after Solomon, uh, his, there, during the reign of Solomon, excuse me, there is a, name, a man by the name of Jeroboam. And uh, a prophecy comes to him and says, uh, you're going to uh, lead part of this nation. Well, he thought it was immediately. Um, Solomon hears the prophecy, tries to kill him, and so he runs to Egypt. And so when Solomon dies, this guy, this Jeroboam, who is a rebel, a traitor, decides to come back from Egypt. At the same time, Rehoboam is getting advice from the older people in the nation of Israel and the younger people in the nation of Israel. He says, how should I deal with the people? The older, the older counselors of Solomon say, don't overtax them, don't overburden them. You know, they'll love you and they'll serve you. The younger people said, just lay it on them, right? Tax everything they got. Make, the, make their lives difficult. And he did. He chose the second option and the people revolted. The ten tribes, with the exception of Judah and uh, Benjamin, went north, uh, became Israel, and followed Jeroboam. They set up a false god place of worship. Uh, they worshipped a calf. Jeroboam said, you don't have to go to Israel anymore. You don't have to go to the temple anymore. But yet Judah and Benjamin remained in the southern kingdom. And so this is the setting that we continue to find ourselves. Saul is not faithful. David is not faithful. Solomon is not faithful. Rehoboam is not faithful. And so you have two kingdoms, uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And uh, the northern kingdom had 20 kings. And the uh, one you are probably most familiar with is not so much the king's name, but it's his wife. Ahab and Jezebel, right? That is the, the thought that comes to our mind when we think of the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom had 19 kings and one queen. And the one queen was actually the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And she married into the kings of the south. I'm sure her mother and father thought, hey, we'll merge the families back together. We can rule everything. But she was so wicked and evil that the high priest killed her and put a young boy on the throne. The southern kingdom did have more godly kings than the northern kingdom. You had uh, uh, Josiah, who is the one who found the book of the law and the people returned to worshiping God. And you say, Jake, what does this have to do with Jeremiah? Well, it has to do with this idea that when Jeremiah is called to the prophetic ministry the northern kingdom has already fallen. They have been taken into captivity. So there is no northern kingdom at this point. Uh, does anybody know who they were uh, carried off into captivity by? The Assyrians. And um, Babylon rises as a world power, and they defeat the Assyrians. And as they're defeating the Assyrians, um, this is the early ministry of Jeremiah, um, this Josiah is killed in battle, uh, going to fight with the Egyptians. And so I just want to get this setting to you that when Jeremiah gets on the scene, the nation of Israel is way past its prime, as you would say. Right? They're about 
300 years into existence, give or take, and the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom is gone in captivity. And so you have these two tribes in the south, and things aren't well. The nation has, has left God. They have, they have gotten wicked. They have done all kinds of things. And I say all of that because when we look at a nation that abandons God, it's easy sometimes to think about America. And I want to be clear today that America is no Israel, all right? The church is Israel. And so I believe that God does deal with nations. I believe God deals with the church. And so tonight I want us not to think so much that, that God has to bless America like He blesses Israel, but it is our responsibility as the people of God to be the faithful remnant children of God. And so when you hear these people in this book that are loving God and serving God, even through great difficulties, that is us. And so um, Jeremiah was, was called, he's a prophet, and he ministered to five kings. And so jo Josiah was the, the godliest of the bunch. He was killed in battle. Then uh, Jehoaz was, uh, was the king for three months. And uh, uh, Jehoiakim was the king after him. Uh, Jehoiachin, and then Zedekiah. And that, so that's the, the idea of Jeremiah, okay? At the end of its days, it's kind of like a sports team, right, um, that has their prime years, right? All their best players are healthy, and they win, and they win, and they win, and they win, and then eventually, with the exception of Tom Brady and Michael Jordan, at the end it starts to what? tail off, right? They're not quite as talented. They're not quite as uh, quick as they once were. Uh, age begins to catch up with them. And the nation of Israel is, the nation of Judah is that way. After years and years of up and down and idol worship and God's blessing and God's correction, Jeremiah arrives on the scene as a prophet. And uh, this is important because it shows us that we can be faithful regardless of what else is going on around us. You can be faithful if no one else in your family loves God. You can be faithful if no one else in your church loves God. You can be faithful if no one else in a country loves God. Jeremiah gives us hope. It also gives us hope that the results are not our responsibility. And don't miss that, all right? The results are not our responsibility. Jeremiah preached, and he preached, and he preached, and no one listened. They didn't listen. They, they threw him into prison. Uh, at the end of the book, they, they, they take him with them to Egypt, even though he says we shouldn't run to Egypt, but yet they took him with him. And so from the world's account, Jeremiah is the world's worst preacher. If the church doesn't grow, <laughs> there's not a great revival, but we see that what we are called to be is faithful messengers. As a parent, you cannot control the outcome of your children. All you can do is be faithful with the time that you have them. As a husband, I cannot control what my wife does. And if you're married, you completely understand that statement. All I can be is faithful to love her. As a pastor, I can't change any of you. When I started pastoring, I thought all people need is a young pastor who's energetic, who's got creative ideas, and all of the world's problems will be gone. And what I can tell you now is, that's not the case. 
I, I, I can be honest, I can leave most Sundays thinking, I don't think I accomplished anything today. And God has to remind me, Jake, it is not your job to produce fruit on other trees. It's your job to be faithful. And so tonight I, I want you to hear that because I, when I look at the society that we're living in, what is something that is accepted today that you never thought you would see be okay? This, homosexuality, what else? Mm-hmm. How many of you are old enough to remember before uh, abortion was widely embraced? Some of you are telling your age back, like, I'm not too... A little bitty. You're one of the the fortunate ones that got through, you know. Um, What else? And even though I agreed with his policies and I agreed with his, uh, his actions, I never thought I would see the President of the United States talk the way in public, the one that our last one did, right? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I agree with his policies. I've, you know... I know which box I checked both times. I'm not worried. But I never dreamed I would see and listen to... Absolutely. Yep. As a father, um, Dave's got daughter. Uh, Lucas has got a daughter. We've got daughters here. We've got daughters all around the room here. As a parent, I want to raise my children in a way that when they walk down the aisle... They are pure for their husbands. Now, I know that's not the culture we live, and I, I get it, but that is what the Bible teaches. And I'm afraid that the church, which is the bride of Christ, has forgotten how to blush. Nothing shocks us anymore. Nothing is at a, at a point where we step back and say, I just can't believe that. I can't believe it inside the church. I can't believe it. I, I just can't believe it. And so tonight, I want you to to really hone in on this fact that even if this country continues to abandon God, you can be faithful. You can be faithful. Huh? Yeah, never would have dreamed it, right? And so as we listen to Jeremiah tonight, I want to hear, I'm just going to do the first 11 verses and uh, listen to this prophecy... Well, it jumps back to the reign of, uh, of uh, I'm trying to read here. It jumps back to the, yeah, it runs back. So you're looking at, it's all approximate, but yeah, pretty close. Yeah. So you have to remember, so let me get my notes here because I've oh, worked for weeks here. If you are familiar, so Isaiah, and then you had Nahum, the book of Nahum, what it came after Isaiah, and he prophesied about the fact that the Assyrian Empire would collapse, and, um, and he was uh, in the southern kingdom. You've got uh, Jonah would have been about the late 700s, 780 to 760. Uh, Hosea would have been 760, um, but uh, Habakkuk would have been in the 620s, so that would have just ended. Nineveh probably would have just been destroyed a few years or right at the beginning of, of, uh, of uh, Jeremiah's ministry. And so you start to really see that God is still speaking to His people. He still has a purpose for them. He still has a, a plan for them. And so when we come to uh, Jeremiah chapter 25, so most people believe that the book of Jeremiah 
was put together at the end of Jeremiah's life. And so, so it's not always as chronological as we'd like for it to be. So uh, 25 has jumped back a little ways from where chapter 24 was. But I want you to hear this tonight. In chapter 25 of Jeremiah, starting in verse 1, "...the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah..." So this is the third king that Jeremiah has prophesied to, "...which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah..." and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. And I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not what? So he says, this has been going on for a long time. This, this is not our first go-around with this. He goes on and says, And the Lord has sent to you all His servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened. Excuse me. Nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now, everyone, of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that God has given to you and your fathers forever. He says, don't ruin the promise that God gave you. This land that God gave to you. And if you uh, watch the nightly devotions or not, we're looking right now at Judges. And in Judges chapter 2, God gave them the promised land. And He said what? You need to drive out all of the pagans, right? And they didn't. And uh, God says, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And these people in uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, He says, are going to be a thorn in your flesh for the rest of your time here. And what we see here is that God is again saying, this land that I gave you, this promise that I gave to you, it is yours. It's yours to have, but you cannot do something. And it goes on and says there, in verse 6, Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with their works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own heart. So he's saying Saul was warned, David was warned, Solomon was warned, Rehoboam was warned, wormed, not wormed, warned, and every one of the 20 people after them that reigned in the northern kingdom and in the southern kingdom have all been warned. And so this idea that God is sitting in heaven angry looking for us to make our first mistake so that he can zap us It's a different picture than what we see in the Scriptures. The Bible says that God is long, long long-suffering. But we also must never forget that at some point, whenever God decides, God says enough is enough. And that's what Jeremiah is telling them. 
how many hundreds of years can you be warned? And you be warned. And you be warned. And this is what's going to happen because it actually goes back even farther than Saul. It goes back to when? Joshua and the children of Israel, right? Go into this land and inhabit it and drive out the pagans. So they were warned all the way back then. But if you go even farther back, Abraham was warned not to worship and fall down before other gods. I mean, it it goes back. And so God is just calling to their attention, you are special, you are loved, you are my people, but you refuse to listen to me. And tonight I would encourage you that if God has been convicting you and convicting you and convicting you and dealing with you, listen. Listen. It goes on and says in verse 8, Therefore, so because you have done this, because you have not listened, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send... And take all the families of the north, says the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them. And make then an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And so if the first Jewish captivity um, happens in the very beginning of the 600s, So uh, if the uh, northern kingdom uh, falls, um, the Babylonian Empire conquers Assyria in 605. And while he's there winning, Nebuchadnezzar's father attacks the southern kingdom. And it is in that time that Daniel would have been taken to Babylon. That first assault in 605. And so if you've ever read the story of Daniel, that's when that would have happened. Uh, A few years later... Um, king, uh, the second king after Josiah, um, Jeremiah says, just, you can't beat him. You need to submit. And he does, and he's treated well. But then something happens. (laughs) Uh, Another group of people say, no, no, no. You don't need to listen. We're God's people. Nothing can happen to us. So in uh, 597, Israel's attacked again and 10,000 captives are taken off. And if you're familiar with that, there are three Hebrew boys that are probably taken in this time. And that's by the name of Meshach and Abednego. And so the story, this is the same time frame, okay? This is all going on in a fairly similar time period. Well... Things calm down for a few years, but then the children of Israel decide, hey, with Egypt, with God on our side, we don't need to listen to the Babylonians. There's nothing they can do to us. Who do they think they are? So 
They decide to get a little too big for their britches. And somewhere between 589 and 586 B.C., the nation of Israel, Jerusalem, is under siege. Um, and they wipe it all out. Burn it to the ground. Carry everybody except the very, very poorest of people to captivity. And so I want you to hear that because... God continued to give them warnings. God continued to try to get their attention. Um, and so uh, I think there are some important things to, to read from this passage of Scripture tonight that are very important to us. Um, one, in verses 8 and verses 9 and verses 10, did you ever hear what God calls King Nebuchadnezzar? There's two words there. And I think verse... Nine, He says, And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Now, if you and I are familiar, he's not Jewish. He's not Jeremiah. Jeremiah is God's servant. What God is saying is, I will use the heathen to correct my people. I will raise up an ungodly, wicked king... I will raise an ungodly, wicked nation if that means correcting the children that I love. And so when God corrects you and I for whatever it is, it is not an accident. When God raises up a, a national leader that spends eight days doing nothing but defying the things of God, God has him there for a purpose. It might not be the purpose I wanted. It might not even be going the way I thought it should. But just like King Nebuchadnezzar, God says, I'm going to use him. <laughs> I'm going to use his wickedness not to be exalting him. Because Jeremiah says, you're going to go into captivity for 70 days. But Nahum said, even though God has used the Assyrians to bring the northern kingdom to their knees, God's going to destroy them too. If you know anything about Babylonian uh, history and King Nebuchadnezzar, it's just a few years after this that another empire rages up and destroys them, the uh, empire of Persia or the Medes. And so what God is showing us is the Assyrians thought they ruled the world. God brought them down. God thought Egypt. Egypt thought they ruled the world. God brought them down. The Babylonians rose up, thought they ruled the world. God brought them down. The Persians. And so it's this idea that God is truly working something out bigger and more majestic than we could ever imagine. And tonight I, I want you to know that because whether it is in your personal life, whether it's in your marriage, uh, whether it's this church, whether it is our country, even though it seems like everything is totally out of control, God still has a plan. Now, let's be clear. Why did he say that he was bringing judgment on the nation of Israel? Because of their idolatry. Whose idolatry? The people's idolatry. You see, God did not punish Israel for Egypt's sin. God didn't punish Israel for the Assyrian's sin. God didn't punish Israel for the Babylonian's sin. God didn't punish Israel for the Persian sin. 
God corrected them for whose sin? Theirs. And it's a very important concept to remember as a Christian. That sometimes other people's sins affects us. Right? The consequences of other people's sins affect us. But the only ones that we have to answer for are ours. And so when the Mormon faith teaches that after um, someone is dead, that you can be baptized for them, it's not accurate. The Bible never teaches that I can die for someone else to get them to heaven. I believe that's why uh, uh, the Catholic Church's teachings on indulgences is not accurate. You cannot buy someone, you cannot pay for someone to move from one place to the other. Why? Because God judges us for our sins. It robs Christ. If I can get you out of hell, who gets the credit? I do. If I can spend $48,000 or whatever it costs, I do not know. I know my great-grandma spent a whole bunch of money trying to get my great-grandpa out of purgatory. Who gets the credit? I do. And so what we see here is that God did not hold the nation of Israel accountable for the sins of the pagans. He held them accountable for their sins. As a church, God is not going to hold us accountable for what the Methodists do. The Methodists are going to do what they're going to do and God's going to deal with them. God's not going to hold us accountable for what the General Baptists do. God's not going to hold us accountable for what Blooming Grove does. This local church is what we call in Baptist circles autonomous. That means that the local church is the highest authority in the Christian faith under the lordship of Jesus and His Word. That means we don't have a pope. We don't have a, we don't have a hierarchy that could come in and tell us what to do. These group of people, the members of this church, under the authority of Jesus and the authority of His Word, are the ones who get to take the credit and the blame. That's why if we can't get along, it's no one else's fault except for whose? Ours. And so when people say, Jake, Hamilton, can't, the community's just ruined our church, that is never the case. You know who ruins churches? We do. Doesn't matter if other churches are stealing sheep. It doesn't matter if other churches are, are lowering the Christian standards of what Christians should or should not do. There is one group of people that we are to answer to and to be held accountable by, and it is this group. Now, that doesn't mean we're not part of the worldwide church, because we are, right? All Christians are part of the body of Christ. But yet this church is responsible for loving one another. This church is responsible for caring for one another. It's your and my job to love each other when someone loses a loved one. It's our job to go to someone and say, hey, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your marriage. I'm worried about what's going on in your life. Are you doing okay? It is no one else's responsibility. It is ours. Why? Because God deals with us. It is not my responsibility to be the pastor for the people at the First Baptist Church of McLeansboro. They have a pastor. 
It's His calling. Those are His sheep under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm blessed to care for people all over Hamilton County, people from other churches, but truly, their under-shepherd is the pastor that God has assigned to them. Just like one of these days when I have to give an account for how I have shepherded you, I don't have to answer for how the pastor in Bitten has shepherded his people. And as a parent, you don't have to answer for how someone else raises their children. You have to answer for how you raise I am talking tonight, am I? I can't make sure. I'm just trying to make sure I'm, I'm... Right? Yours. And so I want to hear the seriousness of this tonight because they were talking about a group of people who were gods. God's people were responsible and were, have brought this on themselves. And tonight I want you to hear that because... If there's one thing that no one wants to do in this world, it's what? Take credit for when things go wrong, right? You work with people. Tyler, you're a supervisor of General Tire. Have you ever had anybody try to blame it on somebody else? Every day. Every day. Uh, I know I was talking to my dad, and he said he had got two people through the, uh, the job interview process. They were going to go hire him. They went to get their drug test, and two people failed. And guess what they said? It's not my fault. I mean, it's not your fault. That's the world that we live in. And if there is one attitude that should mark the Christian believer, it is accountability. It is accountability before God, right? No one else made me overweight. I can blame it on Pharisees. I can blame it on Alicia's cooking here on Wednesday nights. I can blame it on DiGiorno's for them having amazing pizza. But truly, it is no one else's fault except for mine. It's no one else's fault when I don't read my Bible except for who? Mine. But I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, and God understands that, and He's done what? He's made a way for me to be forgiven. And He's made a way for you to be forgiven. And so when we read this passage of Scripture, He doesn't start out by saying, the punishment is going to be this. He starts out by saying, this is what you've done, and this is now what I'm going to do. How many of you have ever spanked a child? Hopefully your own, right? Everybody got their hand up? Okay. Did you warn them first, or did you just slap them? Yes. Both? Yeah, I've slapped mine too without warning. Okay, how many of you have warned your child at least once before you spanked them? Okay. How many of you have ever warned them multiple times? Do you think you spank them harder after you warn them multiple times? I think I do too, because I think I get angrier. Huh? Well, I agree with that, but their mother is not always quite as firm on that rule. And that's what God is saying. I'm not just running around and just slapping you around for no reason here. You had warning after warning after warning after warning after warning. And I love you. He says, I love you too much to allow you to continue to go the way that you're going. Because what does false worship lead to? What does idolatry lead to? Well, the idolatry is the bigger 
And if I cannot make repent and make Christ the Lord and Savior of my life, what does that result in? Eternal damnation. Absolutely. And so God loves His children so much that they are pagans, they have become wicked, they have become idolatrous, and God says, the only way you're going to listen to me is by me taking everything away from you that you worship. If you've ever read the Old Testament, what are some of the things the Jewish people worshipped? Temple. Ark of the Covenant. How about the city itself? Right, as long as we've got the temple, we've got Jerusalem, nothing can happen to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. What else do you think they would have worshipped? Traditions, right? Jesus shows up on the scene and they continually are worried about the Jewish traditions, right? The uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees. And God says, I have blessed you every way possible with anything you could ever want, right? Um, As they left Egypt, what did the Egyptians give them as they left? Treasure, right? I don't know about you, but I've never moved and my neighbors come up and say, here, take my gold, take my silver, take my stocks and bonds, and just take them with you as you move, right? Most of my neighbors are thinking, get out of Dodge, right? Just the gold that made that Absolutely. Absolutely. When they got into the land of promise, did they have to build their own houses? No, right? They, had, they showed up to the land carrying gold and silver that they did not earn, (laughs) to homes they did not build, to vineyards and fields they did not plant. God God gave them everything. Everything you could ever ask for. But it wasn't a what? Wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. And so all throughout the Jewish people's history, we are reminded of how good God is to wicked people. And tonight, before you and I get too spiritually minded, we would be the same way. And we are the same way. What do you think that God has given us as New Testament Christians that is better than silver when you leave the city, homes that are built when you get there? Yeah, I would say salvation through Christ. Because right when you read the Old Testament, um, we now understand fully the things that they didn't quite understand, but yet they were believing on the Messiah to come. But we have the New Testament. We understand even the things that the early apostles, we've got the full New Testament to be able to read and to understand and to enjoy. And We've been blessed. But yet are we any more faithful than them? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you think idolatry is still a problem? You didn't. You weren't. That was a little bit better than usual, but that wasn't very overwhelming. What do you think we do about idolatry? Continue on. Continue on. 
We are. I actually heard a guy preach Sunday about wavering not, right? Or little, yeah. yeah, I know. No, I know. But no, seriously, think about that. So if you can imagine, yeah, if you could imagine, I probably, I get a lot of heat for preaching on one topic. Well, lots of topics, by the way. But one that always gets me in very hot water when I'm not in here with a Wednesday night crowd is when I make this statement, where do you think the people of God are supposed to be on Sunday? Where do you think that's at? Well, come on. Some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where? And I think there's even a verse in the New Testament that says that, right? Do not... And I think if you have a bulletin, it's even on the front of the... Absolutely, right? So, but we're supposed to be together, right? We're supposed to be together worshiping God. Not only do we have it on our bulletin, we've even got it on the tombstone out front, which is not a tombstone, but I always use it, you know. On that beautiful stone that's out front, that verse is there. Why? Why? We do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if, you're a mem- if you're a member of this church, you probably read or signed our church covenant. And if you walk out that hallway on the wall, there's a, an old-looking piece of paper that is the church covenant. And it literally states that you are to be in worship unless something happens. It's a word we don't use very often. It's a P word. It's longer. Unless you are providentially hindered. Any idea what that means? You can't make it because you've been providentially hindered, right? You wake up and you're vomiting. That's being providentially hindered. Or you ate too much Mexican food. Whichever, whatever does it to you, right? right? Yes, right? If you get called in to work a Sunday, uh, if you're on your way to church and you get a flat tire, if you get called and your kid's in the ditch somewhere, right, your oxen's falling off the road, something like that, right? You don't call your kid oxen. That's just the <laughs> biblical tying they're getting. Yeah. But that's what it means. But do you think that is something that is applied? Some people, right? I was at a, I think I told you this the other day, but I was somewhere and I was talking about the fact that uh, I'm getting to be a pushover in my old age. And, um, and uh, because it used to be if a team was going to play or had the potential to play on Sunday, we didn't let them use the gym. Um, but yet we did this, this year. And I was telling an individual that was there that, you know, I've become a pushover. We used to not let this do this. And the conversation was, well, what do you think these kids need on a Sunday? Well, I said, well, I can tell you what they need on a, on a Sunday, you Baptist deacon. They need to be in church, just like that. And the response was, whoa. And I could just tell there was silence all around. And I thought, well, there you go, Jake, making everyone mad. And as I walked back to the office, I thought, boy, I wish I wouldn't have said that. And the Lord said, why? Not that he didn't audibly say why, okay? But I felt him in my spirit say, why? So I'm like, well, you know, I just made 
six parents mad and 13 kids. And, but is it right or is it wrong? It is. You're here on Wednesday night, I understand. But what do we do about it? Who's going to make the motion to kick out 250 people for skipping church on Sunday? No. No. Yeah. So, so I'm asking you. I'm, I'm not telling you. I'm saying, what other things do you see as idolatry in the church today? That's the big one, right, that we see all the time. But what are other idolatries that we see in the church? In the church. Attendance. The building. Someone say building. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Traditions. Absolutely. In our case, it's the song leader because everybody's like, I come for Jamie and put up with Jake. But hey, that's all right. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. People follow pastors from church to church. Right? Absolutely. Anything else? That's the way we've always done it. Yep. Nothing else. That's the theatrics for the show. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Celebrity style. Yep. So I just wanted to say that because it's not just the fact that not coming makes things idle. You can come and sit here every time the doors are open and be struggling with idolatry. The simple thought of, I want it my way, it's idolatry. You've made yourself that object of worship. Absolutely. 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 And so I, I say all that tonight just to get caught up as we continue to move forward because I want us to hear that God is merciful and He's gracious and He's long-suffering and He's patient. But all of us have to be reminded that God is not like we are. He is holy and He's perfect and He's righteous and He deserves to be worshipped and He will not be, it's an M word, God will not be mocked. Right? I can come up here and I can, I can talk well, um, act well, but God knows my heart and God knows yours. God knows why you're doing what you're doing. God knows what you're thinking about when you're here. Um, uh, how many times have you ever sat in church and thought about something other than God? Okay. I have. Yeah. I, I can tell you, I've been up there preaching, and someone will be looking at me. I'll be like, that, that, what's wrong with that person? Right? Be walking through the lobby. Walking through the lobby. The night before I'm at their house, they're trying to kill each other, husband and wife. They're in the lobby. Oh, I just, he just treats me so good. Oh, she's just my little buttercup. And I think I'd slap both of you into the back of the head if I could. <laughs> Last night you was trying not to be murdering each other. 
but yet you had an epiphany this morning before church. Fought the whole way to church, but you walked through the door and it was like, right, yeah, heavenly sunlight, right, that whole song. God knows. God knows when my wife and I have got struggles. God knows when I've not been faithful through the week in reading my Bible and prayer and seeking His face. And so tonight, my challenge to you tonight is not to be perfect, to be humble. To be humble and to remember the God that has been good to you and I through salvation, through Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling tonight, come back to Him. Don't keep running from Him so far that one of these days God says, Therefore, and proceeds to say, Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send. There are a lot of things I hope God sends my way. All right? Blessings, loyal friends, salvation to my children, salvations to the people in this church, a restoration of broken marriages. But there are some things I don't want God sending my way. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want no part of that. Right? Uh, he says he will destroy them, make them an astonishment, a hissing, perpetual desolation. I don't want that. He says, he says he'll take the voice of their song, the myrrh. When you think of song in the Bible, you think of joy, right? Celebration. Now, I know you've set some Baptist song services probably that didn't seem very joyful, but they're supposed to be, right? We're, we're here to celebrate the fact that, we've won, that Christ won the victory for us. And it's supposed to be a time of celebration and joy. And, and songs can be mourning as well, but overwhelmingly they're a sign of joy. And so tonight I pray that you would get along with the Lord and that you would just really let Him search you and correct you because whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Thoughts, questions, disagreements, concerns. And I like the fact that even though He is judging Israel and Judah, He's also not letting the world too, think too highly of themselves, right? Egypt, now you're down. Assyria, you're up, now you're down. Babylonia, Babylon, you're up, now you're down. So when you start getting too big for your britches, don't worry. God will bring somebody else. And so um, it's just this idea that the Bible says that there will be times that the, the wicked look at the righteous. And it even says, it says later in Jeremiah that even the world... Uh, around Israel after this judgment would happen would look at them in disgust because it was so bad and so judgment and the, you could just tell that whatever God they worshipped had, had poured out that judgment on them. And so as Christians we need to, to be reminded that, that we must keep our eyes on the Lord because the opinions and thoughts of the world are always going to change. Uh, they're going to love us when they can get something from us, right? When we're giving out free food in the food pantry, all of Hamilton County loves us, right? They love it, right? We're, we're giving them food, when we're putting roofs on their houses, when we're painting the viaduct, when we're cleaning out little old ladies' gutters, when we're, and if, you're, if, you're, if we cleaned your gutters out and you're not little and old, I'm sorry, um, when we're, uh, you know, we're raking leaves at the ball field, when we're doing those things, it doesn't matter what we're organization we're with, right? They love it. Come on, just, just bring it on. But then we go from that to repent. 
Turn from your sinful ways. Would you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That whole, that whole opinion changes, right? The American Civil Liberties Union says, well, you can't say Jesus at school. <laughs> you know, the Southern uh, uh, Center of Law and Justice says that church is a hate group. Right? It all changes. And so we have to be faithful to God regardless of the pressures of this world. Because there was times during Solomon's reign, if you remember, that even the pagan kings and queens came. Even they would give gifts because Solomon was so amazing and the nation was so wonderful and it was so great to be Israel's friend. But now Israel's what? Alone and abandoned. Beside who? So we'll do 20 chapters of Jeremiah and then we'll jump back into Psalms. So, so when it just gets to be too discouraging, that's not the purpose because Jeremiah is a book of hope that, hey, you're going into captivity, but it's only 70 years. And, um, and we'll talk more about that next week.